and welcome to Adult Human Female, a feminist podcast exploring news and events that are significant to women's rights. I'm your host, Ellie Ellis. It's been another strange week as we all deal with the coronavirus crisis. The UK is now in lockdown and even our Prime Minister and Health Secretary have tested positive for the virus. We're all isolating and dealing with an unprecedented situation, so I hope you're all keeping well and safe. I imagine this episode is probably going to be a lot shorter than usual. There's not as much in the news. However, there is still stuff in the news that is relevant to us as women. And here are this week's headlines. There's been more talk about the impact of COVID-19 on women and questions about why it is more deadly for men. No answers yet, but hopefully this is being looked into. I don't know if any of you have downloaded that symptom tracker app but it asks for your sex at birth, which at least it's looking for biological accuracy, but that need to not offend by asking for sex at birth just makes me roll my eyes big time. Reforms to the Gender Recognition Act have been indefinitely put on hold by the Conservative government, who are saying the delay has nothing to do with the current coronavirus situation. This is obviously great news for women, particularly that it's not just being delayed because of the current crisis, but actually on reflection because the reforms are not appropriate. Hopefully, if and when further moves are taken with the Gender Recognition Act, women's rights groups will be heavily consulted. A petition by the organisation Standing for Women to keep the dictionary definition of woman as adult human female in response to a petition by a trans-identified male who wants the dictionary definition to be more inclusive has been taken down by Change.org, who said the petition was hate speech. The US Justice Department have become involved in a federal lawsuit against the Connecticut Interscholastic Athletics Conference. The CIAC guidance currently allows students to compete as the gender they identify as. Under CIAC's interpretation of Title IX, however, schools may not account for the real physiological differences between men and women. Instead, schools must have certain biological males, namely those who publicly identify as female, compete against biological females. Department officials have said in so doing, the CIAC deprives those women of the single-sex athletic competitions that are one of the marquee accomplishments of Title IX. The lawsuit was filed in February by runners Selena Sewell, a senior at Glastonbury High School, Chelsea Mitchell, a senior at Canton High School, and Alana Smith, a sophomore at Danbury High School, against the conference and several local boards of education. Warnings have been issued to trans-identifying females who bind their chests, that whilst binding cannot increase the risk of contracting COVID-19, it is certainly very likely to exacerbate symptoms and increase the risk of breathing difficulties. So... Not loads of headlines this week. There are a couple of um, main stories that I wanted to cover. One is that mermaids have been advertising a button on their website that allows young people isolating at home with family to quickly hide the website should an unsympathetic family member enter the room. So, I mean, Women's Aid has this facility, I believe, um, on their website, which makes perfect sense because actually if you are looking up advice on how to escape an abusive relationship, 
being able to hide that, but, you know, hide that website from your abuser is really, really important. But what mermaids are doing, particularly that it's aimed at children and young people, I mean, that is grooming. That is ignoring child safeguarding. Children should not be being encouraged to hide their online activity from the adults who care for them. That's so dangerous. You know, I'm not surprised that mermaids are doing this. You know, they <laughs> they frequently resort to things that contravene safeguarding. But, yeah, the fact that they're kind of taking advantage of the current situation where everyone is isolating and people are sort of you know I've seen articles as well of people of of gay and lesbian people trapped at home with homophobic parents which is awful and equally you know a gender non-conforming child who might be trapped at home with parents who don't you know accept their gender non-conformity is heartbreaking but you know even like you know if a child was in a, a therapeutic relationship with a counsellor or a psychotherapist you know that can only happen with consent of at least one person with parental responsibility unless the child is old enough to be Gillick competent that as much so as much as that relationship is sort of private between the child and the therapist it can only occur with parental consent or a thorough analysis of whether that young person displays Gillick competence. So, you know, it, I think that just highlights how, you know, because I think what mermaids are sort of purporting to offer is a sort of private, so similar, similarly kind of, not therapeutic, because I think what they do is absolutely abusive, but that, you know, they are offering that kind of we will protect your private feelings kind of vibe, aren't they? But they're not in a therapeutic relationship. They don't have consent from parents. And it is really, really scary. You know, they are a dangerous, dangerous organisation. And these kind of things need to be flagged up. And actually the safeguarding risks need to be acknowledged by the, you know, the charities, ombudsman or whoever it is that oversees mermaids. Um, it... This, this charity cannot go on ignoring safeguarding. It's so dangerous. So, I, you know, I just really, really hope that um, it's taken seriously because, you know, being shared around on Twitter is one thing, but actually complaints need to be made. And if you are in a position to complain about mermaids to, I'm assuming it's the charity's ombudsman, but I'll check and I will put in the show notes where you can complain to about mermaids doing this because I, I absolutely... You know, like I've said before, I work with children, I know about child protection, I know about safeguarding, and this absolutely contravenes all guidance on how to protect children. So I think it really needs flagging up. Um, the other main thing I wanted to talk about today is really fucking awful. Women's rights campaigner Karen Ingala-Smith, who I'm sure you have heard of, she compiles a list of women who've been murdered each year. She calls it counting the Counting Dead Women Project. Um, she also works tirelessly to support women who need to escape abuse. She has been told by the Labour Party that she is not welcome 
to be a member. She was actually a member of the Labour Party until 2018, when under Corbyn's leadership, she decided that, you know, it didn't quite fit with uh, her her political beliefs, I suppose, or she couldn't support what was happening under Corbyn. So she left. And this week, I believe, or, or at least in the recent, you know, possibly not this week, because I guess everyone's coronavirusing and not concentrating on other things, but... Very recently, she applied to rejoin the Labour Party and she was told, The information brought to our attention is that you have engaged in conduct online that may reasonably be seen to demonstrate hostility based on gender identity. Your application for membership of the Labour Party has therefore been rejected. I mean, that is horrifying on so many levels. I joined the Labour Party after the last elections in December, the general election, because I absolutely personally could not bring myself to vote Conservative. I didn't have much faith in any of the parties of protecting women's rights at all. I thought that if I joined the Labour Party, then perhaps, you know, I would have a vote, I would certainly have a vote on who was going to be the new leader. And that, you know, perhaps I would be able to be some influence from the inside, I was aware of the Labour Women's Declaration, for example, and that there were people within the party looking to raise the profile of women's rights within the Labour Party. So I joined. And obviously, like, who the fuck am I? They don't, you know, I'm sure they didn't Google my name. Maybe they did. Um, <laughs> when I joined. But again, because I work with children, like, my real online identity is quite protected. You can't find a lot out about me by googling. So, you know, I don't suppose they would have found any of my tweets or any of my Facebook posts or, you know, anything that they might have determined to have been, uh, how did they phrase it? Host yeah, <laughs> demonstrating hostility based on gender identity. So I don't know if they do that for everyone or whether they just, you know, recognised her name or it was flagged by someone or I don't know. But what's awful is they haven't actually given any evidence. They haven't said, right, this tweet, like, or this, you know, article that you wrote. They've just, like, literally that's all they've said. So there's been no due process. No one beyond Labour headquarters knows what she is supposed to have done to demonstrate hostility based on gender identity. And that's shocking. Like, I mean, imagine being, I don't know, arrested for theft and then being told, well, we've got evidence that you have stolen things and you were like, but what have I stolen? <laughs> and, and what evidence have you got? And they were like, well, we've just got, we've got evidence. So we're arresting you. We don't have to tell you what the evidence is. I mean, that's basically what the Labour Party have done. And as a member, that is really chilling because, you know, I you have to have been a member for like two months before you can go along to meetings. So I was basically waiting for that. And then coronavirus hit. I have, I have yet to attend a local Labour Party meeting. But I was hoping to, you know, obviously not jump straight in and start shouting about trans issues. But I was certainly hoping to get along there, you know, sound a few people out, kind of see what the vibe was. And I'm now thinking, and I know, I know that within the Labour leadership campaign there has been all this bullshit from Lisa Nandy and um yeah well pretty much all of the all of the um 
candidates in some way or other. I mean, Lisa Nadia, I think, has been the most vocal and the most sort of, we should expel everybody who's transphobic. You know, so I, I'm not naive to that. But at the same time, it's just so 1984-ish, isn't it? It's, yeah, it's just not, <laughs> there's just no due process. There's no evidence. There's no discussion. There's nothing. So yeah, I'm worried. I'm concerned. I have absolutely zero faith in the Conservative government. But I basically have zero faith in any other political party. What are we going to do <laughs> in the UK? We are fucked. Yeah, so that's kind of depressing news. <laughs> but yeah, that's the current state of British politics. So sucks to be us, really. I will keep you updated if I hear any more about this. But it's really, it's not good news at all. And it is really concerning. So yeah, thanks Labour. <laughs> Um, so, I said this would be a shorter episode today, it is definitely looking, shaping up to be that way. I wanted to talk, in Dictionary Corner, I thought I would talk about autogynophilia because I know I've referenced it multiple times and I'm not sure that I've ever actually defined it. And I think, you know, it is important to know what we are talking about when we are discussing the way in which we understand transgender identity. And so this only applies to men. And this term was coined by Ray Blanchard, who basically came up with, in the 80s and 90s, he was building on the work of prior researchers, and he basically categorised trans women into two groups. So you've got homosexual transsexuals, so they are obviously gay men, so they're attracted to other men. Um, and they tend to be feminine in both behaviour and appearance, and... So they, I think often there is a bit of internalised homophobia there, you know, it's easier to be a woman and have a relationship with a man in this society than it is to be a gay man, particularly if you're a camp gay man, because I think you do get singled out, you do get, you know, you're identified as different, aren't you? You're othered. So that was one type of trans woman. The other type is the autogynophilic transsexuals. So these are people who are sexually aroused at the idea of having a female body. And it is basically a, a, a paraphilia, it's a type of fetish really. And it is really obvious the minute you start looking into posts online by trans women, particularly, I mean, uh, exclusively, really, the ones who consider themselves to be, you know, transbians, the, the, the ones who consider themselves to be lesbian, women attracted to other women. I saw a post just yesterday, I think, and I don't know how old it was, because these things get screenshot and, and passed around, but there was a man talking about how, I think it was his he was basically, it was, I think it was a Reddit question, and he was sort of saying, how do you deal with the gender euphoria? So that is the idea that obviously you have dysphoria in your, in your sex assigned at birth or whatever, 
And then once you start transitioning, you can actually experience some gender euphoria. And he was saying, how do you deal with it? Basically, when it is erotic. And it's basically what he was saying. Um, and he described a situation where it was one of the first times he'd gone out in, in women's clothes. And he'd gone to the mall. And and then it doesn't... I'm not sure I believe his um, his narrative of events because he said that he was trying on some clothes but I think he said the changing rooms were full there was only one changing room so instead he went into the ladies toilets and like that's a bit odd isn't it because actually if you try and close on usually that's before you've bought them but you can't take them out of the shop and into a toilet so I like something doesn't quite add up and I suspect he deliberately went into the toilet knowing what was going to happen next and that maybe it wasn't as um instinctive and like he couldn't help himself as he claimed but what he said is he so he bought this yellow skirt or was trying it on and went into the toilets and when he put it on he was so aroused that he had no choice but to masturbate which I mean I'm not a man I don't you know <laughs> I don't know what it's like to suddenly get an erection <laughs> But I'd imagine there is always some choice. You know, no matter how horny you are, surely there is always some choice of whether or not you masturbate, whether you can wait until you get home. I don't know. But anyway, that's what he did. He, you know, wanked all over this skirt and was then asking advice on, you know, how to deal with this euphoria. That's how he described it, euphoria. And, that, you know, it's not. It's not euphoria. That is an erotic reaction. And that is what, autogynophilia is. It is, you know, they have a sexual response to themselves in women's clothes. And yeah, you don't have to delve very far into the murky world of trans women to discover this really seedy undercurrent. You know, and it's it's the sort of, it's the, it's the men taking photos of themselves half naked in women's shelters you know that the exhibitionism I think kind of just proves how fetishistic it is and and yeah and they have no shame talking about how turned on they are and you know I know Miranda Yardley I think it was him not Debbie Hayton I think it was Miranda Yardley like wrote this medium article recently about sort of destigmatizing autogynophilia and and I guess I'm going to say what I've said before about any kind of fetish and about things like, you know, those weird people who dress up as pups at Pride. Like, let's not destigmatize those things. Let's just say that it's okay in your own home to put on a pair of knickers and, and have a wank if that really turns you on. But let's not say that that's okay in public or that it's okay in toilets or changing rooms that are public let's and let's not say that it's a perfectly valid form of sort of sexual identity either like uh, again what people uh, it's valid in the sense that I don't care what people do in their own homes as long as they're not harming anybody else I give no shits but you know I think we're we're dangerously in that in that region of sort of making things okay that really aren't okay. And I think we need to be careful where we draw this line because, 
yeah, it really, you, de you delve into that world and it's really quite disturbing how okay these men think it is to, to flaunt their fetish and to rub it in people's faces. And, and you know, and that's the combination, isn't it, of, of a sexual fetish and male entitlement. It's, uh, it's just typical, really. I'm not surprised by any of it. But, yeah, so, basically, when you see people refer to AGPs or autogynophiles, autogynophiliacs, I don't quite know how you um, use that as a, as a noun, or a descriptor, uh, but, um, yeah, that is what, what is being referred to, and it is, you know, any man who claims to be a lesbian is basically their their AGP. That's what is happening. They they are attracted to women, but they are also attracted to the idea of themselves as women, and and they are far more dangerous than the homosexual transsexuals. Far more dangerous because because as much as the HSTSs might want to access women's toilets like I'd say they probably are the ones who do just want to pee <laughs> and I feel like they're probably in the minority but whereas I you know I would say a large number of the AGPs at least at the very least get a perverse pleasure from being in there it's not just about like validation it is about it sort of turns them on and that you know is just gross I don't want to think about men like that walking into my toilet. I mean, I, you know, I'm not saying I want the HSTSs in there either. But, yeah, that, I think, you know, it's it's an important, it's, it's important to separate those two so that we understand what we're talking about and what we're dealing with and what the various issues are. So, yeah, it's... <sighs> it's not been the cheeriest episode today. It is a little bit shorter than usual because most of the news is... COVID-19, COVID-19, COVID-19. Thanks so much for listening, though. I, I, you know, I think probably podcasts are being listened to less with no commutes. I know that I am, am definitely backlogged on my podcast listening because I'm not commuting at all at the moment. You know, but thanks, thanks for being here. Thanks for listening. And I hope that, you know, being able to keep this going and have this little bit of normality for all of you and for me as well quite frankly is is helpful at this time um stay safe stay well you know keep that social distancing keep washing your hands and you know i'm hoping that we're going to be through the worst of this soon but it, it's all so uncertain at the moment so you know and again i'm just going to extend that that um, request that if you want to get in touch with me and thank you so much to people who have it's so lovely but if you want to get in touch with me please do ahfpod at gmail.com find me on facebook find me on twitter yeah it's it's just lovely to hear from you especially at this time of isolation so take care of yourselves thanks to toes and davian for music my name is ellie ellis and i am an adult human female Thank you.